you can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. It is your destiny. Anytime you plan to visit Amazon.com, please be aware that if you use the Amazon.com link located on our website, www.2TrueFreaks.com, Two True Freaks will receive a referral bonus for any items you purchase. There is absolutely no additional cost to you whatsoever for doing this. All proceeds go directly toward keeping new episodes of all your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated podcasts rolling, and it really helps us out. So please... Use our Amazon.com link anytime you plan to visit Amazon.com. Welcome to Amazon. I love you. <laughs> and now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. sense a disturbance in the force. You always sense a disturbance in the force. I don't like this. Really pissed me off. Oh no! It's a trap! Chewie, get us out of here! You can't run. Help me! Or two! This is where the fun begins. And now. Together by live simulation via the internet. Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell. At last! Where have you been? Hello and welcome to Star Wars Monthly Monday number 55. I'm Chris Honeywell and I am here with my fellow freak, Scott Gardner. 55. That's crazy, man. I can't drive! (laughs) Yeah. That's it's nuts. It's our speed limit episode. Wow. Yeah, that's a good idea. Put up a speed limit sign for the... <laughs> <laughs> oh, I already have an idea for <laughs> this episode. Oh, oh, oh. Good, good, good. <laughs> oh, I like your idea, too, because you, you, you told me beforehand. So, yes, I do like that idea, actually. I like that one a lot. Yeah, and... Uh, yeah, this episode will be... Will be um, Finally, well, not final. Well, yeah, finally. Yeah, finally. Um, but I don't want it to sound like we've been like dying to get to this. But now we're actually past the proper Marvel comics. You know, we've got all the annuals done, and now we're getting into the literally the wild space. Wild space, yes. Using that omnibus that Scott Rifon so kindly and mercifully sent to me. <laughs> 
I'm so looking forward to this. I really am. I mean, all but one of the stories in there, I, I believe I've read everything in there except that, that one that I've always held in reserve all these years. But even so, I'm not like intimately familiar with this material. Mm-hmm. So some of it is like, wow, did I read that before? Because I don't remember that. But more than anything, what I really like about this, for one, it's something new. It's something very rare. It's something I, I would imagine a lot of our our listeners have no idea. They've never read it. They don't know what it is. But also, you know, as we're going to see with the story that we're going to cover tonight, this takes us right back to the frontier days of Star Wars. Oh, yeah. This is like Howard right Jacob. back. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm I'm really looking forward to it. I've been itching to get to this yeah. for a while. I, I was I was thinking, yeah, because last month was sort of, ooh, Carmine Infantino, what a what, mm-hmm. how nostalgic. And now it's just like boom. You thought that was nostalgic. Yep. Even further back, yeah. 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 So uh, uh, Yeah, what do you got for uh for preamble stuff? Not a lot. I've been picking up the stuff at garage Star Wars stuff at garage sales. Um, lately, I've been getting a lot. I've been having great luck in the little bins full, you know, 10 cents, 25 cents and finding tons of these bobbleheads, Star Wars bobbleheads that span all six movies. So there's Anakin ones. There's ones from the Clone Wars TV show. Uh, my favorite ones, there's a, a Stormtrooper and Chewie and they're both riding they're both basically sticking up out of a tiny ad at you know they're big bobbleheads <laughs> and there's a neat yoda one uh the princess leia one's really creepy uh the um general grievous one is really neat and i've yet to get a boba fett scott mcgregor beat me on a boba fett once or you know he didn't know i was looking for it but i saw him heading over with a with a boba fett but I'll find one. I mean, I'm finding like two or three of them every week. And then Scott and I both found these sort of, it must be from some sort of game because they have a little base with a counter on it that turns and, you know, they click into something and it's stormtroopers on little uh, sort of portable adats, the two-legged ones. And uh, I got a Luke Skywalker with his lightsaber. And <clears throat> obviously part of some role-playing game or, uh, you know, um, adventure game. And those are starting to turn up. Uh, I got a video game for the Xbox. I got uh, Star Wars The Clone Wars. Oh, is that the one that has one of those, uh, I don't know what they're called, like the missile-launching-looking rolling yeah. tank thing? That's actually a pretty fun game. We used to have that. that. I, I don't think we have it anymore. I think it, we have an Xbox in our house, so I'll have to try it out. It's a weird promotional. It's like a promotional offer one, and it's got Tetris World. Yeah, on, that came with too. Xbox at one point. That, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's it's not bad. It's it's mostly meant to be. It's almost like do you remember the the old Atari game Tank? Yeah, it's kind of like Tank. I mean, you know, obviously much more advanced, but it's basically Tank. Yeah. But if I remember properly, there's there is a way to play on foot in certain aspects of the game, and that was actually pretty cool too. You could play as I want to say you could play as Mace Windu. I think I forget. It's been a long time since I played it. 
But uh, yeah, it's it's not bad. The physics were a little bit wonky, but some of the different battle uh, battlefields that you got to to use and play with were actually pretty good. Cool. It, it was not a bad game. I mean, not one of the great Star Wars games, but not bad. Uh-huh. It's kind of like uh, it's kind of like take strictly the weapons, or not the weapons, but the uh, the vehicle portions of say uh, Battlefront One dumb it down to where the physics don't quite work as great and that's essentially what that game is so it's not bad i mean it, it's it's decent yeah what else would you get, get it for i think like 50 cents yeah, or there something you go. like that yeah, I think it's a perfect 50 cent game yeah. there you go um because i don't pay very much for games because you just don't no. you don't know how well they're gonna work if at all no. and most people don't want much especially if they're for an old you know, machine, they don't really that's, care that's for them. The, the kids are done with them, you know? Yeah, that's the thing. Xbox games, even some 360 games at this point, but Xbox games definitely are out there on the cheap now. They've they've yep. <laughs> since fallen into the realm of, like, PlayStation 1 and 2 games to where they're they're dirt cheap. Well, the the ones to keep an eye out for for, uh, for Xbox is um, the Jedi Knight games. Because oh, those okay. those still have some value to them, but if you can find them for cheap, for one, they're fun as hell to play. Well, that's but, the thing is, I'll end up keeping them because it's Star the Star Wars stuff. I had, unless I fall on something that's gonna like put me in a nice house or something. Yeah. Do you <laughs> have like a Dreamcast? No, I don't have a Dreamcast. I've, I've been on the lookout for a Dreamcast because I'd still like to get a good working copy of um, Demolition because I love the soundtrack. Yeah. I, I don't know if anybody's noticed, but I put a lot of of uh, tracks from uh, from uh, demolition into Star Wars shows lately, just because I like the music that's in it. But um, no, nobody seems to have noticed yet because nobody's called me out on it. So I've got a PlayStation version of Demolition. Oh, do you? Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I like that game. It's it's just it's one of those games where it's not like hardcore fun or not more hardcore involvement you know it's just like i want to go shoot some things yeah it's sandbox mode minutes at a time yeah Yeah. i've been picking up a lot of the like young adult star wars books Mm -hmm. and i even got some really really young you know ones that were meant to be i got one called jar jar's mistake (laughs) which i thought was an ironic title anyway but it was basically just the story of Jar Jar eat, trying to eat that fish thing and tattooing, and then oh, and then Lord. disturbing everybody and Anakin saving him. That was basically the whole story. You know, this is Jar Jar. Jar Jar is hungry. Some of those young adult ones aren't bad because uh, for a while I was collecting and reading the Boba Fett ones, and they were actually pretty good. The story they were telling in there was pretty good, but then of course. His appearance in Clone Wars kind of put the lie to all those stories. So that, yeah, there were a lot of uh, Clone War era ones that I've gotten, and I can't remember any of the titles. I've got them all piled up over there, but they seemed really kind of crazy. <laughs> right, I was reading through some of them, and that you know, I mean, basically, if the person's a writer, it's like writing one or two chapters of a real book. Because right, it's yeah. big writing, and you know, it's like sixty pages of big writing in a little book. And uh, but you know, there were like these Jedi Council meetings, and they were they were just ridiculous. You know, they reminded me of some of the comics. You know, the old comics where with with people arguing and and just weird logic and stuff. So 
I'm looking forward to, you know, piling up a couple of them next to the turlet and seeing seeing what happens. Do I read it or do I use it to wipe? I'll report back <laughs> next month the fate of there's no way I could rip the pages out of it. Well, it depends on what book. Not a keep, Star Wars. Keep the, no. keep the Jar Jar one there for that purpose. <laughs> and of course, it's that one's illustrated with really like watercolory kitty illustrations. Has what? nothing to do with Star Wars, but not long ago, uh, I know I reported on this. Uh, our buddy Mark Callback uh, sent me um, a bunch of comics. Hang on here. I want to. I want to grab this real quick. He sent me the only Kurt Vonnegut book I haven't read yet, so I'm very excited about that. And it's one that I don't own either. The only other one I don't own I read a long time ago. I don't really remember it that well. It was like back when I was in high school. And, uh, but I have a copy of that. I just haven't gotten around to reading it. I want to save it. I want to have like some of these books I haven't read hanging around so someday <laughs> I'll get a chance you know and Kurt Vonnegut's dead so that's he sent me this this giant box of comics and it was all random stuff I mean some really uh, cool stuff some really crappy stuff so just just all this stuff you know just this stuff. massive box yeah. of comics he was like here I don't want it just take it there was actually a, a, an issue of Marvel Star Wars in there too it was one of the ones where Luke fought um, Baron Tag but all the way at the bottom of the box, there's this manila envelope all sealed up. And it was really sealed up. I mean, it had it all really uh-huh. well taped and everything. And on the front, it was just written very nice lettering on it. It just says, emergency toilet tissue. Open only in case of emergency. <laughs> you had to open and it. And I had to get into it. I had to know what it was. So I finally <laughs> wormed my way into it without you know cutting into the comics that were inside of it. And it's a bunch of issues of... Uh, Grant Morrison's X-Men. I'm like, yes. <laughs> yes, that really is. Emergency toilet paper. Thank you so much. I thought that was awesome. That's that was going big... to annoy the hell out of Michael Leyland, but uh, I can't think of better comics to wipe my ass with. There you go. I, it's funny. I was at a garage sale yesterday with uh, Scott McGregor and his mother, and there was a big pile of comics. At, but earlier he'd gotten a Superman comic that was tied in with Man of Steel. And it was like a free Sears giveaway. And it's like, look for Sears in Man of Steel. And it was like the first chapter of Grant Morrison's new thing. And uh, he started grumbling about Grant Morrison. You guys might have a similar similar hatred for the man. Oh, I can't stand him. (laughs) Can't stand him. But that's that's besides the point. Well, he's going to meet yesterday's taco pretty soon (laughs) (laughs) Uh, that sounds like a star star trek episode doesn't it yesterday's taco taco. (laughs) (laughs) what else got what else huh about the time kirk got a venereal disease (laughs) (laughs) all right back to star wars sorry (laughs) no that was funny (laughs) (laughs) yesterday's taco um. Yeah, you got anything uh, Star Warsy and happening in your life? Oh, really? I had I had a bit of a disappointment. I was going to say a vast disappointment, but it wasn't really. But you know, <laughs> there was all this, all this, yeah, all this crushing defeat. 
there was all this talk, you know, be, you know, watch carefully, you know, and, and there's going to be all this stuff revealed at the D23 Expo. And then it, it happened, and there was a lot of stuff that happened, but nothing new in the world of Star Wars. They didn't make any big announcements or anything. They didn't confirm any of the rumors. And, man, let me just tell you, the rumors are flying hot and heavy. So... I can imagine, but nothing, nothing confirmed. Imagine quite a bit. Yeah, I, well, I'm imagining quite a bit, so I'm hoping, I'm hoping that you know, awesome stuff is coming. But they didn't confirm anything, so I was kind of disappointed about that. But on the awesome front, do you remember the beautiful cover that I know you and I have raved about, uh, raved about a lot over the years? It was the cover to Star Marvel Star Wars number sixty eight. It's a Jean Day cover. It's got Leia and her Hoth gear at the bottom of it. A bunch of stormtroopers, a weird-looking dude on like a lizard creature, and then what we thought as a kid was Boba Fett firing his rifle, mm-hmm. but it's actually not Boba Fett. It's Fen Shisa. I finally got a friggin' T-shirt. Of Did this. you? It was at um, Old Navy. It's like, I don't like ten bucks or something. Yeah, the most normal place to buy clothes, too. Oh, it's gorgeous, dude. It's absolutely good. It's, it's in that distressed stuff, which I don't really right. care for distress, but in this case, it really fits because it's already kind of a mean piece of art. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's distressed, so it looks old. It looks vintage. It really does. It's one of the better distressed jobs. Plus, you know, the original cover, the background on the original cover is like bright. It's It's like you know lemonade yellow yellow yeah but on the t-shirt the t-shirt at least the color i the only color they had there that i found it in the t-shirt itself is army green or or what i call like baby shit green so it's this green so it really adds to the art that's in the picture but it's it's fen shisa it's just i you know it's so so cool and I've I finally had to get over it when people would see it and go, oh, I love that Boba Fett shirt. And it's like the first dozen times, I, well, it's actually not Boba Fett and tell the story. And you can see it, like their eyes glaze over like, huh? So it's like, uh, I'm just like, yeah, it's a great, yeah, it is a great Boba Fett t-shirt. Absolutely. You're right, dude. But it's not Boba Fett. It's Fenchise. <laughs> I just think that's so cool. But yeah, it's great, great shirt. I'm so happy. You just do that Animal House. <coughs> Fenchise. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But it is. It's, it's awesome. I'm glad I finally got one. But that's, that's about the height of new uh, new Star Wars stuff for me lately. Other than uh, one other thing that uh, that we'll talk about here, um, I guess right now, unless you got anything else. No, I got <laughs> nothing, man. Nothing at all? Nothing that I haven't already given. <laughs> Well, we can go ahead and dive into this real quick. I will try to keep it brief, but if you guys remember last time around, I gushed about how I'm kind of addicted now uh, and trying to make my way through the uh, the new Star Wars. Well, they're not so new, really, but they're new to me. The Star Wars Legacy of the Force novels. I blew through the first and really enjoyed it, decided to keep going, see how I would uh, like the rest of them. So I kept going. I've actually read the second book already. And I'm almost re- I'm almost finished with the third. I really thought I might have two book reports for this episode, but not quite done with the third one yet. But anyway, I finished the second one. It's called uh, Star Wars Legacy of the Force Bloodlines by Karen Travis. And lo and behold, who's on the cover? Boba Fett. So, Karen Travis. Now, I've reviewed Karen Travis Star Wars books before. 
and I, I generally raved about them. Well, brace yourselves, because I'm going to do it again. This book, this Bloodlines, this is the Star Wars book I've wanted to read for a long, long time. It, it does everything that I want a Star Wars book. It feels like one of the movies. But more importantly, it feels like one of the great Star Wars movies. It, it feels kind of like uh, you know, little bits and pieces of all the best moments of, of Star Wars movies. And it, it does something that I wasn't sure could ever be done and I would like it, which was it pulls a lot of elements from the prequel world and brings them into the post-original trilogy era but really makes it work, really sells it and, and makes it work in a way that doesn't feel just contrived. Or in this case, you know, we're, we're 40 years past Return of the Jedi, so there would be that tendency to go, really, you're going to pull stuff from prequel and pull it this far forward and it's going to work? But it does. It really works well. And what was probably supposed to be the A plot in this book was, of course, the continuation of, of the story from the previous book, the escalation of hostilities between the Galactic Alliance, which is the current government, and the Corellian system, who are trying, basically, they're trying to secede. And, of course, um, Jason Solo's continuing slide into Sithood, into falling to the dark side. That's, you know, in this book, that's very compelling, and, and it's very interesting, but for me, the real story in this book, the A plot for me, was all about the guy on the cover, Boba Fett. So it's, it was kind of hard for me to figure which one is really supposed to be the A, which one is supposed to be the B. So I went with the Boba Fett story. So Boba in this, in this story, he's now in his early 70s, which, according to what he says in the book, is actually in this universe, really not that old because potentially he could live a lot longer, but he realizes that the lifestyle that he's led and his origins are finally catching up to him and that he's dying of some sort of uh, like a cellular decay that's related to the fact that he's a clone. He's a clone of Django Fett. And so for the, for the first time in decades, he decides to go back to Camino and he's looking for something that'll cure him, and his only hope is Tan Wee. But he finds that she has up and disappeared. So while he sets out and he's pursuing her, he ends up coming across this young girl named Myrta Gev. And she's like this beautiful, tough-talking... She's this young girl, but she's also a bounty hunter, like a novice bounty hunter. And strangely, Fett who normally works alone, doesn't really ever like people around him, doesn't really like people. Strangely, he really takes a shine to this girl and, and kind of brings him along with her, despite his own best judgment. There's a lot of great uh, getting in Boba's head and, and learning his thought process and a lot of him questioning himself, why don't I ditch this girl? What, what is it about her that, that I, I enjoy her company? I like having her around. Well, one of the things is she's in possession of this artifact that totally haunts Boba Fett because it's a callback. It's, a, it's this necklace, and it's a reminder to Boba of the life that he'd once had a long, long time ago and the wife and the daughter that he had 
and he just up and abandoned them. And Gev has some sort of connection both to Boba's wife, because, of course, she's in possession of this necklace that he had given to his wife, but also she has some sort of connection to Aelin Vell, who is Boba Fett's daughter. He hasn't seen her since she was an infant over 50 years ago. So that's kind of... I think it's supposed to be the B-plot, but again, to me, this was what the book was really about. I can't really go much more into the book without seriously spoiling it, and I absolutely refuse to do that. I, I want people to read this book. I want you, Chris, to read this, because I think you'd really love it. But suffice it to say, the the book was fantastic, and, and it had everything I look for, not only in a great Star Wars story, but just in a great story, period. It, it was a really good story. It's fast-paced. It's action-packed, but more importantly, it really made me care about both the events that were happening, but the characters in the story, and especially for Boba Fett, who is one of my favorite characters. But let's face it, up till now, he's he's almost been like a... Almost joke. like a... Not so much a joke, well, kind of a joke sometimes, but kind of like a caricature. You know, he would pop in, he's... You know, he's that bounty hunter bad guy that would pop in and pop out. And yeah, and a lot of these books had not been portrayed particularly well. But Travis, Karen Travis, does a really spectacular job of showing us this guy. You know, this he's, he's a hard man who's led an incredibly hard life. And now, at the end, he's looking back in all of it. And he's wondering if he's made the right choices in his life. And what the hell was his life all about anyway? You know, what what was this all for? when all he ever wanted and all he ever cared about now is lost to him forever. And the ending of the book and the ending of Fett's saga in this book is absolutely heartbreaking. I mean, it, it really is bad. And, and it makes you feel horrible for a guy that you're not supposed to like. He's not supposed to be a sympathetic character, but you're really... He hasn't done it. many nice things. Up no, to not at all. Uh, and you really do feel badly for the guy. And what's even cooler is, uh, I'll spoil just a little bit, there is a portion, again, toward the end of the book, where Boba finds himself with Han Solo and his wife, Princess Leia. You know, by this point, he's had a decades-long relationship with Han, not a pleasant one, you know, an adversarial relationship. You know, he's like, his, he's like Han Solo's arch-nemesis. And Han even finds himself pitying Boba Fett. You know, here's this guy that's been a thorn in his side literally by this point for decades. And, you know, strangely, when Boba's brought low, Han feels bad for the guy. And, and Leia even tries to, to try to uh, comfort Fett. And that's a great moment, too, because Fett, you know, she realizes at one point, who it is that she's trying to comfort, but then Fett also kind of reminds her nobody comforts Boba Fett. So it's a really nice interaction between them. But there's a, there's a really great twist. And actually there's a couple of twist endings in this um, that show that Fett's still got it because there's a moment where he decides to forego his vengeance and to allow events to play out as they're going to because he figures that's going to be a worse punishment to the people that have crossed him and done this thing to him than anything he can possibly do to them. And I thought that was a really cool moment. And there was a really, you know, there's a genuinely touching moment when Fett comes to admit to himself, 
that he misses the old days, and surprisingly, he misses Darth Vader because it turns out that that he had sort of a you know, of course, they always had a good like working relationship, but that Fett actually. Yeah, they went out fishing a few times, started <laughs> had a few beers, and started getting along. You know, sometimes that happens. You never would expect it. But you know, he had like a like a grudging respect and and admiration for for Vader. You know, they were in a lot of ways they were kind of like kindred spirits. So yeah, but Both uh, had their costumes and. <laughs> but you know, as far as the story proper, that that's pretty much it. A um, couple of uh, good beats in this. You know, one of my complaints about the first book was that I didn't think Princess Leia was given much to do, and I thought she was a little out of character. That's addressed a little bit more in this. She's not, again, she's not given a whole lot to do, but what she is given to do at least is interesting, and I liked her um, moments uh, interacting with Boba Fett, I thought were really good in this. Um, I like that there was a mention of Fen Shisa. Not a lot said about him, but just hinting at what what happened to him and why Fett is now the new Mandalore and how that happened, how that transfer of power happened between Fen Shisa and Boba Fett. I thought that was really cool. There's also a brief mention of Kyle Katarn, and I'm always a sucker for that because Kyle Katarn... He's the character that you play in those Jedi Knight games. Did you ever play Jedi Knight? No. Yeah, he was he was cool, but he was the playable character. You know, it's one of those third person perspective games. Right, right. Yeah, he's that character. Now he's actually a knight on the council. So I thought that was cool. Like I said, just a mention of him, but just the mention was enough. To, you know, to you know to be one of those little geek moment kind of things. Um, also, even though he's not in the book. Um, Skirata, who was one of the the major players in the earlier Ka- uh, Karen Travis books that I reviewed on the show, the ones that were like the Clone Wars Republic Commando era books, mm-hmm. uh, that character is mentioned heavily in this because he plays into the fact of uh, evidently there's clones that didn't die, you know, because of this aging problem, and that's who. Fett's looking for is Skirata. So that's uh, really cool. Um, if I have any criticisms of this one, and I really don't have any serious criticisms, but one thing that's, that is starting to bug me, and it's not even a specific criticism of, of this book nexus- necessarily, it was just that this book was where I started to notice it. If so many people feel that Jason Solo may be falling to the dark side, and he is then why isn't anybody more concerned and why isn't anybody doing anything, especially Luke Skywalker? Luke Skywalker comes to feel in this book that Jason is more than likely falling to the dark side. Yet there's all that. That's my, my one thing so far that's kind of bugging me is that there's a whole lot of talk about it, but nobody's doing anything about it. That seems a little out of character, but I, I don't know. Maybe there will be, end up being a reason for it or something. Maybe something has happened in the past. Maybe there's plotting going on that you won't find out about till yeah. it's sprung. Well, I know that uh, in the book I'm reading right now, there was a moment um, of introspection with Luke where he feels guilty and he feels ultimately responsible for the death of Anakin Solo, which was Han and Leia's younger son. So maybe that's why he's not doing anything because he doesn't want to be responsible for yet another child of theirs, you know, something bad happening. So maybe even though he sees what's happening, he's 
staying out of it, which again, doesn't seem like that's in character, but maybe for that reason, I, I don't know. It was kind of weird, but that was kind of negated a, a little bit by the fact that toward the end of this book, Luke detects Lumia. He finally catches like catches her scent in the force. If you know what I mean? Yeah. That's cool. That's, that's headed to a, you know, to a confrontation, I feel at some point. So I'm excited about that. But, uh, Again, this was uh, Star Wars Legacy of the Force Bloodlines. I thought this book kicked all kinds of ass. I loved it. I thought it was... If you want to read just a great Boba Fett story, I I can't recommend this one highly enough. It was fantastic. I really, really loved it. But that's about all I got. All right. Well, you want to take a little pause and then uh, the pause that refreshes and then... (laughs) on to the main meat of the episode. Now you're going to have to find one of those vintage commercials to... Or actually, I will. I'm doing this one, aren't I? (laughs) You know, this was me five years ago. And it's still me. Because I confess I'm a waistline watcher from way back. Well, that's enough for today. Now for a lively lift. Ice-cold Coca-Cola. There's no waistline worry with Coke, you know. Actually, this individual size bottle has no more calories than half a grapefruit. Mmm, another thing, the cold, crisp taste of Coke is so satisfying, it keeps me from eating something else that might really add those pounds. Coke's a natural, wholesome blending of pure food flavors. I guess that's why everyone likes the refreshing new feeling you get, only from not-too-sweet Coca-Cola. And no wonder, lively, lifty Coca-Cola provides a welcome bit of quick energy between meals. Thanks for a pleasant pause in a busy day. Oh, and remember, Coke is low in calories, too. Say now, don't you get any thinner. You've decided to go to a nearby restaurant. You ask the hostess to seat you in a booth. As you sit, you notice an animated conversation among the four seated behind you. They're talking about Star Wars and Doctor Who and something called the Laugh Olympics. These are the people you used to pants in high school. And yet, you cannot help listening. Unable to tear your ears away, you realize you've just been sucked into the Dinner for Geeks. Dinner for Geeks, weekly at twotruefreaks.com. Trentus Magnus punches reality. Movies, comics, and TV shows. Listen as Trentus Magnus punches reality. Magnus.Libson.com My name is Grundy, born on a Monday. The following recording was taken from an NSA wiretap of a back to the Vince taping. No names have been changed. Everyone is guilty. Do I need to mine, or am I good where I'm at? Well, now you do. <laughs> if I have mine, you have yours. You might want to yours only if you do have it set to automatically because you don't want it to automatically because the thing never works right. Because what will happen is it will be used to you at a particular time. 
and then if you go out of that, it scrambles to uh, a and it doesn't fast enough. So it's better to just set it up. Oh, okay. It it really doesn't work well. So I checked. Uh, I checked my uh, Mm -hmm. oh my. It definitely built built me for the hotel for all three of us. Join back to the bins every week for goodness. Solomon Grundy hate voiceovers. All right, we are back, and uh, we are now delving into the wild space of Star Wars. It's wild, man. Freaky, man. <laughs> like, wow. And uh, to, I, it, it's weird to say, to say synopsizing this month's issue, Scott Gardner, it's more like synopsizing this month's story, Scott Gardner, because... This is sort of a serialized story. Yeah. All of this stuff is going to be from little odds and ends, so... And this time it was, what, from Pizzazz number 10? Well, here here's the story on this. Or something like that? No, it's, it's actually earlier than that. It's very strange. I'm going to go ahead and give you a little history lesson here. I'll warn you guys ahead of time, um, there's not much to this story, so I really didn't bother with, uh, with doing a pre-written synopsis on this because the story itself is very, very, very basic. I'll get to a synopsis of the story here in one second. What's actually more interesting in a lot of ways is the backstory on this. So this story is collectively known as the Keeper's World, and Chris is right, it was serialized. The Keeper's World storyline ran in a, a very, in, it was in very, very small, like bite-sized chapters in early issues, beginning with number one, of a Marvel it was a full color magazine called pizzazz and it was kind of like people magazine for kids but like for for young kids almost i guess these days you call them tweens but like the younger kids a little older than little little kids but not quite like teenage so pizzazz actually had started up in october of 1977 and it was yet another one of those things that was out there in our childhood that was riding that massive wave that was the the worldwide star wars phenomenon now the cover of issue one actually had it was a photo cover it was r2 and 3po standing in the hallway of the tantive four um right at the beginning of of the original star wars that was the cover of uh, pizzazz number one and Pizzazz featured uh, over its history a number of Star Wars-related ads and articles and gags and all kinds of different things. And it, it had a relatively short publishing history. It was only around for, I believe, 16 issues. The Marvel strip that was in there, uh, these were storylines that were exclusive to this magazine. That's still to this day the, the claim to fame of Pizzazz magazine. It's what all the fanboys remember it for, and it's what people still seek it out for today. And up until now, pl- uh, prices on these back issues have continued to climb, although now that this Wild Space volume is out there and all this stuff is finally all collected in one place, I do wonder you know, what that's you know may possibly do to the, the price of these back issues. I'd still like to get all of the issues of Pizzazz one of these days. I think I only own one in my own collection. But anyway, collectively, this story is known as The Keeper's World, and it ran from issues one through nine of Pizzazz, and, and number nine came out in, a, in June of 1978. Before this omnibus, The Keeper's World was only ever out there uh, 
two other times. It was reprinted once in the Marvel UK title, uh, Star Wars Weekly, and that was between issues 47 and 50 in 1978 and 79. And then again, it was released in 1999. It was a very uh, limited release. It was an issue called Star Wars Number Zero. Strangely, uh, this is the part I find very, very odd. In Star Wars Omnibus Wild Space Volume 1, if you look in the credits page, right in the inside the, uh, or not credits, what do they call it, the contents page, the first story says Star Wars Number Zero, The Keeper's World. That's a reprint. That's not the original source. It should say Pizzazz 1 through 9. So it's very strange that they listed it as Star Wars Zero. Here's the reason they did. Because Star Wars number zero was published by, wait for it, Dark Horse Comics. Of course. Yep. Dark Horse created two versions, and they were released exclusively for two other companies. One of them was American Entertainment, and the other one was uh, AnotherUniverse.com, which I don't think is around anymore. It was a web... Uh, it was a online retailer, I think, for like nerd stuff, like t-shirts and stuff, I think, something like that. And each version had its own distinct cover on it. And the one for American Entertainment was a Brian Stelfreeze's cover of uh, Princess Leia that, according to w- uh, Wikipedia, the art on there was actually reprinted from the Star Wars Galaxy trading card set. But it is a really nice cover, and it's the cover that's depicted in Wild Space, that one of Leia with her blaster. The OtherUniverse.com cover was by none other than uh, Star Wars poster artist Dave Dorman. And that one's really nice. It's beautiful. The picture on that, I think, would be much better suited for a trade of the uh, Splinter of the Mind's Eye story because it's a really, really nice cover. And that one, see, I think I have a cover image of that here. That's the one. Yeah, here I've got a picture here. I think I sent this to you too, Chris. It's the one of Luke and Leia. He's in his... uh, his tattooing outfit. She's got her outfit from the first movie. And then there's little inset pictures of R2 and 3PO, but they're standing in front of like this, like this, uh, like a Mayan temple or something in the background. Uh-huh. But it, it totally reminds me of splinter of the mind's eye. They've got their stormtrooper blasters and everything. It's just a great, great cover. And then, uh, and those other images I sent you were the covers for star Wars weekly 47 through uh, 50. Just real quick, 47 is uh, an image kind of from the story itself inside where these two, you really can't tell these are Star Destroyers in this picture. They almost look like, I don't know, like shuttle pods or something running into each other as this other ship dodges between them and little headshots of Luke, Leia, and the droids. I have tried to find out the credits on these covers, and there's conflicting sources, but one of the sources I found said it's... uh, Howard Bender and Tony DiZaniga. I'm not so sure about that. I thought I saw some um, Dave Cockrum in there myself, but again, I, I don't know for sure. 48, I would have swore blind, was by um, Jim Starlin, just by the big monster that cover. But according, again, to the source, I found says it's Sal Buscema and Bob McLeod. That's an actually really cool cover. 48 is by Frank Springer, and eh, it's okay. R2 looks really good. 3PO actually looked like he has breasts on that cover, now that I look at it. Nice. Maybe it's he, some Tino. He looks like uh, 
It actually looks like a character called Mechanique from uh, All-Star Squadron, now that I look at it, which was a female character. It was a robot with boobs. And then 50 was actually a photo cover from the movie. It was uh, the Falcon flying away from uh, Tatooine with a little inset picture of, uh, of Luke and 3PO that I'm not sure where they're sourcing that picture from. Is that from when they're in the land speeder, maybe? I don't know. Yeah, I can't tell on that one. But anyway, that's all the, the credits and everything on that and the little backstory on it. The story proper, like I say, I'm just going to run through this real quick because it really is very, very simply done. Chris put it best when we were talking before the show that uh, it kind of reads like Star Wars super stories in a lot of ways because it's very evidently written for children. But what's neat about this is that this goes all the way back to the very earliest days. This story, it turns out, when I did my homework on it, by its publishing date and the it's set, this actually does predate Star Wars number 7, which at the time that we covered that and that story, we credited as being the first EU story. Technically, this is, because it's actually earlier than that story. But, it, of course, this is not as widely known as the stories in Marvel uh, Star Wars proper. So anyway, the story starts out, Luke and Leia... And the two droids, they're boarding this uh, weird-looking uh, Rebel Alliance ship. And they're flying away from uh, the base on the fourth moon of Yavin. And they're going to link up with other Rebels, another Rebel base, to basically let them know what's going on. The whole state of the galaxy kind of thing. And as they're flying around, they actually fly right into the Imperial fleet. They just... I don't know if they just had a bad jump or they're not watching where they're going or what, but they eventually wind up smack in the middle of the Imperial fleet. And they pull a, a very Han Solo-esque maneuver. Han Solo, by the way, never mentioned in this story, which, again, lends credence to that idea that Han didn't stick around after uh, the first Star Wars movie. But anyway, they pull this little maneuver, they dodge being picked up by the Imperial tractor beams, but then that overloads their engines and they end up crashing on a nearby planet. They crash on the planet, they set up their little base camp and everything, they ward off an attack by these giant purple monster things, and while they're kind of recovering from the attack, they're spotted out by an Imperial craft, which I guess is supposed to be a TIE fighter, but I'll get into that a little bit here in our notes section. The Imperials land, they chase Luke, Leia, and the droids all over the place, and they finally corner them in front of this temple. And just as they're about to be executed, 3PO bumps into a switch that suddenly dematerializes Luke, Leia, and the droids. They transport or teleport or some shit into this temple and the Imperials are stymied. They don't know where they've disappeared to. In the meantime, Luke, Leia, and the droids run into these four children that have glowy, starry eyes. And each one of them has an elemental power. So you've basically got Earth, Wind, and Fire. And then, like, Terra from the new Teen Titans, except it's a boy. So It's very Earth, Wind, and Fire... And Twisted Sister, because it's <laughs> wind and fire, and I want to rock. <laughs> there you go. That works. So they're trying to figure out what's the deal with these kids. Why do they have these freaky mutant powers? Did this suddenly become Uncanny X-Men? What is going on? And about the time they're trying to get to the bottom of that, 
the Imperials have figured out that there was a switch that teleports, so then they've now teleported inside the temple as well, and they come to attack our rebel friends. Luke tries to ward them off with his lightsaber, but it's the little mutant freak kids to the rescue. They actually generate a wall of flame and then fire and then wind, and they use all their elemental powers to, to blast the Imperials all over the place, giving Luke and uh, everybody time to escape. They run off. They find themselves in another chamber that's dominated by this giant, freaky-looking... I don't know what this is supposed to be. It kind of reminds me... kind of Kirby-like. It is. It's very Kirby-like. It reminds me of the Supreme Intelligence from uh, from uh, Captain Marvel. You know, the, the Kree Supreme Intelligence, yep. you know what I'm talking yep. about? Kind of looks like that, and it's called the Keeper. And the Keeper explains that long ago there was a war on this planet something bad happened and the people that were from the planet decided that they needed to leave they needed to give the planet a chance to heal itself and everything and when it was habitable again that they would come back to live there and so they left the keeper behind to to accomplish this task well in the meantime evidently this happened over a long long period of time the keeper became lonely so the keeper actually created for essentially androids and that's who these kids are and it gave them the powers to defend the planet and help restore the planet and also ward off unwanted visitors and that sort of thing so that's essentially what's going on and about this time the uh, imperials come busting into the chamber and the machine essentially attacks everybody at the same time and that's when it relates the story to uh, Luke and Leia and the droids of, of what's going on. Luke puts up a passionate plea, you know, we're not like the Imperials. We're not, you know, we're not bad guys. We want to be your friends and everything. So then the Keeper sets up an elaborate ruse to make it look like there's like an earthquake, volcano, like basically like the planet is unstable. Destruction. And, yeah, destruction. Yeah. And the Imperials, thinking that uh, Luke and the others were killed in this, you know, this big uprising of the planet, they jump into their sort of TIE fighter ship and abandon uh, the planet. And Luke decides, well, you know, now we're we're all friends with the Keeper and everything. The Keeper uh, uses its technology to repair their ship, and Luke and Leia board up and head off to the next adventure. And that's pretty that's much way, the yeah. story, yeah. Yeah. It was fun. It's definitely for kids because it just sort of makes a weird sort of internal logic sense. Right. You know, but it's not really it's it's one of those ones where I'm like, okay, I'm not gonna nitpick continuity stuff and, and logic stuff in this because there's no need to, you know, it's it's it would be stating the obvious. Uh it was fun. It was it was just great to see the old you know to see the old art to travel back in time you know mm -hmm. and uh, I thought I thought Chaikin's art was looking pretty good. Oh, I just realized I never it's, gave any sort of credits on this. The story, all the chapters, because this is you know goes over nine chapters, uh, was all written by Roy Thomas, who of course was the earliest scripter on Marvel Star Wars. So I thought that was really really nice to you know have a Roy Thomas story again. The art for most of this was Howard Chaikin and Tony Disney with you know Chaikin doing the pencils and Disney doing the uh, the inks. 
But then right towards, I didn't exactly know precisely where it happened, but right about the three-quarter mark in this, right? there was it's one of them that Dizaniga. said, yeah, it says Dizaniga and the tribe, it says. And again, I don't know what chapter this is of the story. So I, I was looking at this, trying to figure out who is the tribe, or the, is this one of those like many hands projects? But it's only three pages, and I couldn't really pick out another um, art style in there besides Dizaniga, so I don't know who he's referring to. And then from that chapter up through the rest of the story, it is only Dizaniga that's credited as the artist, and it's clearly him. I, I can recognize his solo yeah. art style. But uh, it's nice. I like it. I, I really enjoyed the art in this. I don't. I mean, I love Dizaniga. I don't know that he's especially well suited for Star Wars, but I really enjoyed the art in this, regardless. That yeah, and let's. I guess we might as well bring up the world's lar- either largest Tie Fighter or it's like half Tie Fighter, <laughs> half Tardis. Yes, because it's definitely larger on the inside. Definitely. It's it weird. It's weird. It sort of has two different sizes. One where it's got like the driver, and then like three or four people wandering around in the back, <laughs> and then one later on where it's you know the pilot and just enough room for you know his commanding officer to stand behind him and yell. And right. Right. Well, you want to kind of run through sequentially here, or how do you want to sure. tackle this? I do have a good number of notes. I tried, like you said, I tried not to nitpick. I, I more wanted to point out either really interesting things or like historically relevant things or whatever. Uh, my first notes on page nine, that last panel, you've got one of those Masasi temples on Yavin, but I like right at the top of the temple, there's that cool looking house right there. It looks like one of those house of the future type of places or yeah. something. I don't know what that's supposed to be, but it's kind of neat looking. But it does. It looks like somebody's apartment or something. And then again, this is one I didn't understand. If you look at the last panels on both of the next two pages, both page 10 and 11, is that supposed to be a hyperspace effect? Because at first I thought they were flying through like a like a meteor shower like or something. Blasting a meteor or something. I guess so. But yeah, see... Well, remember, this is in the early days. So yeah, they exactly. Can picture things... So much. I mean, the the picture before that has them sort of going down a tunnel-y thing, right? With a with the white light at the end, heading towards the light. Maybe that's them coming out, or maybe that's ha- them having trouble with hyperspace because R two's still damaged from right the Battle of Yavin, so he's I not liked that. full. I like that they it reference. Made sense. Yeah, yeah, that they reference uh, Vader having shot. Uh, R2 in the movie. I thought that was really neat because I'd kind of forgotten that because there was a mention here, where is it? Uh, 3PO says, he says, uh, that's it precisely, your highness. As you recall, the little fellow was badly damaged during the fight with Darth Vader. And I was like, what fight with Darth Vader? And then I was like, oh, okay, yeah, that's right. He got shot by Vader in the Death Star. I forgot all about that. But uh, I like that panel, too. If you look at that second panel, page 11, 3PO, it looks like he has ears. Which, yeah, I know. Which was really funny. And then R2's eye socket thing is actually like popping out of place right there. He's, he's doing something. It's well, like, like on the what? next page, on page 12, you've got anime 3PO down at the bottom. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, 3PO to me was the was the one element in this that was really cool and really bizarre by turns because a mm-hmm. lot of the time he looked like uh, a cross between the Scarecrow and the Tin Man in his yeah. face. He looks really bizarre, but some of the panels don't do bad. I got a kick out of, I, I don't know if this, maybe I'm thinking of this strictly from Battle in Outer Space Wars, I'm not sure, but on the bottom of page 11, you know, it's uh, it's the end of the chapter, so it's the cliffhanger ending, and 3PO just says, well, R2, this is another fine mess you yep. got into, and it reminded me of the Laurel and Hardy gag that we always made in, uh, in Battle in Outer Space Wars, because yep. that's definitely a Laurel and Hardy line. What Page else? twelve. I love that first panel of them yeah. looking out through the the cockpit. Luke looks really cool right there because he looks he looks like Luke. He's dressed like Luke. He's a little buff, but you can definitely tell that's Dizaniga because if you ever see any of the flashback tales he did of Jonah Hex, that's Jonah Hex. Oh, really? <laughs> or the scar? Yeah, I think that's neat because that's pretty much a young Jonah Hex right there. But he also passes as Luke, so that's kind of cool. And Leia's like she's looking right at us, the reader, yep. too. That's kind of neat. Now, I got a kick out of... Uh... All right, so you've got... They're flying along in their little shuttle. And again, it's very bizarre looking. I, I uh, The next chapter of this story, the next uh, story arc, is actually drawn in the beginning. It's going to be done by um, Walt Simonson. I like what he does with that ship. Here, I wasn't so crazy about it. It's essentially just a little pod with three giant engines on the back. Yeah. But it's flying along, and these two Star Destroyers start to converge on it from each side. So Luke really does do the little maneuver that Han would do in The Empire Strikes Back. Of course, that hadn't happened yet. So Luke's actually doing it here first, diving between the ships that the ships ram into each other. I thought that was neat. But Leia, on the panel before that, says, Luke, hit the Cosmic Overdrive. Yes. Now that sounds like a band name right there, Cosmic Overdrive. Isn't there something from Pink Floyd? Like uh, like a bad, no, that's like a bad local psychedelic band. That's not a band that makes it to Pink Floyd level. (laughs) Oh, Pink Floyd, don't they have a, what is it, Interstellar Overdrive, Interstellar Overdrive, yes. That would have been really cool if she told them to kick it into the Interstellar (laughs) Overdrive, man. Was that a song or was that an album cover? Or it was a album sound, song. Song, yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's funny. And then... An instrumental. Where was the one? Okay. This is a nitpick, I realize, but it jumped out to me. On page 14, the third panel, so the ship is crashing. Luke's doing his best to, to do a controlled landing. He says, only one thing to do. Try to land her on manual control, like my old land speeder back home. You don't land a land speeder. <laughs> you don't land a land speeder. Not at all. So I didn't know what that was all about, other than they're just trying to reference Unless them. he was driving like them Duke boys. <laughs> <laughs> I think the creature at the bottom of 14 is awesome looking. That's a chicken monster right there. Yes. Oh, definitely. That's cool. It's like a demonic kitty cat or something. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's got a little bit of... I could see uh, Walt... Or not Walt Simonson. Um, Al Williamson coming up with something like that, too. Yeah. It's cool looking, though. I really do like the monsters and stuff in this. Oh, you'll love this one. Where is this? Page 17. Stop me if you've got anything earlier than these pages I'm jumping ahead to. 
Right here, Luke says, The beast that made that footprint could make a pancake out of Darth Vader himself. So they have pancakes in the Star Wars universe. That's awesome. Mm. (laughs) Even more reason to go there. Something else on page 17. I don't remember this happening very often. One of the Imperials references the Galactic Emperor, and I don't remember that happening much at all prior to uh, Return of the Jedi, where they would actually mention the Emperor. Do you? No, not really. I mean, only a couple of times. Yeah. Majesty, the Galactic Emperor. I thought that was interesting. Uh, Let's see... It probably wasn't a cliche yet by this point, but it just has to be pointed out. When you add this story into the mix, Luke can't fly for shit. Luke crashes all the time. Everywhere he goes, he crashes. Well, by the other token, he's it's usually somebody shot his ship or something, or this time they got caught in the in the wake electromagnetic wake of the two star destroyers bouncing off each other. So Basically, he's a great flyer because he keeps him from right, crashing yeah. into a fiery... <laughs> yeah, any landing you yeah. walk away from. So. Yeah. Page 20, that first panel, R2 zapping something. Yeah. Could this be a first? It, it could be. It didn't happen in Star Wars at all. Yeah. He zaps that creature in the foot to get its attention. I love the first panel on page 21. What the hell is that stormtrooper doing? Wanna, 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 wanna. <laughs> Aren't you a little hunchback for a stormtrooper? <laughs> he does. He's got a bad back. He's like a trucker, you know. He's just got a bad back. He's got hemorrhoids from driving the goddamn TIE fighter all day. And then he's got these guys yelling behind him all day. <laughs> Space down. Yeah. <laughs> Put it down and trucking. <laughs> oh, let's see. Page 24. Again, stop me if I'm going too far here or too, too far. You're past going it. too far. That first panel, page 24, Luke's uh, lightsaber mysteriously reappears. And man, does it look like a flashlight. It looks like yes. one of those heavy-duty flashlights my dad used to use to work on cars. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then I love... death with it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, one of those... And then the brass pack shows up. Well, right before that, look at the stormtrooper on the bottom of page 24, that last panel. <laughs> He's angry. That's <laughs> <laughs> angry stormtrooper. <laughs> Prepare to meet Mr. Angry Eyes. I They're love all angry in that panel. Everybody, the, the guy's like, we'll get him, and the stormtroopers behind him just like, yeah! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is one bizarre story, because like you say, then the mutant freaky kids come out, and so you've got mutants, you've got teleportation, you've got Tin Man C-3PO. It's really weird. It's... Yeah, it is. It's like a cross between like Wizard of Oz and the X Men or something. They're, they're at, yeah, there's you know they they don't know what to do, so they're throwing some Marvely elements in it. You know. Yep. Yeah, very this much. Is what so. our readers like, you know. When it got to this chapter with the kids, I seriously went back and checked the credits, expecting that Chris Claremont may have taken over the writing at that point. He did. Yeah, that would make I sense. Wouldn't, I wouldn't have been surprised at all because they are very much like X Men mutant kids or something. Yep. 
I like that uh, page 27, that first panel, when they're cornered by the Empire, Luke pulls out his lightsaber, but he actually says, I've got my father's lightsaber. I just thought that mm-hmm. was cool, because I don't remember him really referring it, uh, referring to his lightsaber that way in the comics. So I thought that was kind of cool. Um, page 28 on the bottom. Just a good-looking R2-D2. I just wanted to point that out. Yep. Oh, yeah. Because remember, a lot of times in these early ones, the droids and Chewie, the, the artists had a just really kinda, tough time with. Yeah. But that's a good-looking R2 right there. I like that one. Got a feel of weight to him. Again, this might sound a little bit nitpickery, but I wanted to point it out only because... This would have come in really, really handy, and I don't recall them ever doing it again. It's shown here that stormtroopers can track the droids by their heat particles. What? So if they could do that, why the hell don't they do it all the time? I don't remember that ever being mentioned before or since. But you would think that that would be a really handy thing for them to be able to do. Because mm-hmm. that's how they track them into the, uh, the cavern. Let's see. That last panel, page 31. I just wanted to point it out. I think it's cool. That superhero-looking guy, I don't know who it is. I guess he's just supposed to be like some random some random spaceman that landed on the planet that got chased off or something. Yeah, yeah he's, he's just cool-looking. He's like an interloper. And a, or a spoiler. He's the spoiler. A spoiler. Page 32, that second panel. That one guy looks like a, a snor- uh, snow trooper, and this was well, yes, well before snow troopers, so I thought that was cool. That TIE That's... Fighter on 33 looks fantastic. It looks Beautiful. like the toys, but as you say, it's a TARDIS on the inside. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense in, in terms of... In this one, see, it's and on, on page 34, it's sort of halfway between what it might... Right, feasibly be and what it was a few pages ago. That one a few pages ago was massive. I mean, it was big enough that those guys looked like they could like dance. In yeah, it. no, they had a whole yeah, they had a whole little deck that they were walking around in there, a whole little you know command center. This one's too big, but at least this one is a little more. Cra- you know what it looks like? It looks like the control room of an ADAT. Like yeah, the, yeah, the, it does. Which so was a little more still cramped. far in the future. Yeah. <laughs> But at least, and the stormtrooper looks good too. His helmet looks right for a change. It doesn't look like it melted over his cranium or something. <laughs> That's still a very it's awkward. Mellowed out a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that control strut thing is still really awkward, though. It's up around his neck. It would be like wearing yeah. your steering wheel when you drive. It's really yeah. strange. And those big robot arms at the end that repair the ship reminded me of a cross between like Doctor Octopus and that. That shore leave planted in Star Trek for some yes. reason. Yes, but um, but yeah, once again, very Kirby like. Yeah, but that was about it. That's honestly about all I've got for this one. I, I liked it. it; was fun. Not a great story, but I mean, it wasn't horrible. Well, next and, month we got even more. Just to tease a little bit, we got a, even more um, anticipating the future. Oh yeah, in uh. In this, as in anticipating artist-wise and artist anticipating story-wise. Yeah. So that should be really interesting. I'm looking forward to this because the first chapter, the, the next story, by the way, is uh, the Kingdom of Ice story. 
this first chapter, which of course is only what three pages. Yeah. I have this one. I this is the one issue of Pizzazz I have. It was Pizzazz number ten. Oh, this cool! Was the, this was the first I ever learned that there was a Star Wars strip, and it was Walt Simonson yeah. on and that one too. Oh, you must have been like, "Oh my god!" It's beautiful, man. The stories by Archie Goodwin, arts by uh, Simonson and Klaus Jansen. Now you know I'm not the biggest Jansen fan in the world, but Cl- uh, Jansen well actually, yeah, and he goes well with Simonson and Frank Miller. They they're really? a really really good pairing, and uh, I'm looking forward to that. The art does change about midway through the story, which is a shame because I don't think the the second art teams is good. But uh, I'm looking forward to this. And then moving on from there, we've got a bunch of stuff with uh, with Carmen Fantino that's just yeah. glorious black and white. So yeah. beautiful. So uh, you got anything else on this one? Nope. Um, I just wanted to say. We regretfully inform you there'll be no Indiana Jones this month. Yeah, because we're lazy. So, well, just to let you guys peep kind of behind the curtain, we're, we we do apologize that this one's a little bit uh, fast and furious, but it's just it's got to get done. So that's why we're kind of not hopefully not rushing through it, but at the same rate, we just kind of kind of get kind of we're very busy us. young executives. Yes, we are. We have to manage our empire, and that requires time. So. Our empire, <laughs> but no, I had a blast. I thought this was a lot of fun, and it's a it's a good opening to uh, oh yeah to the Wild Space book. So I'm I'm having I'm a- having all I can do to keep from reading too far ahead in this omnibus. I've <laughs> I've got two other I'm different <clears throat> big thick omnibuses. I'm working on a different stuff, so I'm using those to distract me away from this. Because, man, it's the temptation to just go read right through this is humongous. What me. are the other ones that you're working on? I'm really milking uh, Judge Dredd. What, these are both uh, ones that Kelly Logue sent me. Oh, cool. And uh, one is a huge, giant Judge Dredd, the Cursed Earth collection. And, you know, each chapter is its own separate story. So it's really, it's good, nice toilet book. Um, and, um, I'm reading Martha Washington, the collected Martha Washington ah, story okay. by Frank Miller and really enjoying those. I, I had the first series, I bought them when they came out, but I never read any of the other ones that they did and I'm really enjoying it. It's really well done back from cool. when it's one of the last gasps I think of Frank Miller. Before he went mad. <laughs> Crazy. Mad, I tell you. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T W O T R U E F R E A K S. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Join our forum at forumforgeeks.com, where you can discuss all of the shows on our feed with us and your fellow listeners. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. And hey, you can friend me, Scott Gardner, on Facebook too. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. You can friend me on Facebook, too, if you can find me. Now available, two True Freaks t-shirts. See our website for details. 
Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check that out at www.comicspodcast.com, where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. We are also members of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? Thanks for listening, and join us every Monday for new episodes of Two Two True True Freaks. Freaks.